Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mountshoot. And I'm Coach John Shoot. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. Hello, I'm Matt Bush, the news director for Blue Ridge Public Radio, and I produce Going Deep along with the Shoops. This is our second annual Final Four show, but we begin it by picking up from our episode last week, which looked at the opening rounds of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Marsha concluded the show by asking whether we could talk about where the money generated by March Madness goes. Well, now it's time to answer that, and John starts us off. The money does not go to the players. And when we talk about the money, we are talking about billions with a B. Now, it's really kind of interesting how they distribute the money to the 64 teams that are in the tournament. And they use this category that's called units. And so when the 64 goes to 32, that is, if you win your first round, you get what's called a union. Unit. A unit. And then when you go from the 32 to the 16, you get another unit. So now you have two units and so on. From 16 to 8, 8 to 4, 2 to 1. And you try to pile up these units. And each unit increasingly becomes uh, a higher number that you're paid uh, as you get deeper into the tournament. Your conference is paid, that, that you're in, right? That your conference is paid. And so if, for, for instance, uh, the ACC right now has Virginia in the final four, so Virginia got one unit getting to the 32, uh, two units getting to the 16, three units getting to the uh, elite eight, and then four units getting to the final four. And so those units go to the ACC. In Duke, whatever units they compiled, UNC. They had three other teams in the Sweet 16. Right. And so all of those units go to the conference, and then that money is dispersed amongst all the conference members. So even the teams that don't make it to the tournament still benefit. Now, the units are not just for that year. So... We're in the year 2019. The units actually span uh, 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 over a six-year period. So these units would go back, and like the ACC conference would average out the units that they've uh, attained over the last six years. And that number is continually dispersed uh, throughout the conference. And... uh, it's really interesting how, you know, teams in the conference that really don't help the conference in any way, shape, or form benefit greatly uh, from this tournament. And it doesn't matter quite as much in, say, the Big Ten or the ACC, but where it does is when a Gonzaga uh, – Gonzaga, for all intents and purposes, really funds – a great deal of the athletic programs in their conference, 
And it's because they get these units from the NCAA, and they've accumulated those units over the last six years. Well, and don't some some conferences distribute them differently, too, I think. The conferences have discretion over how they're distributed. The conferences do have discretion over how they're distributed, but generally they are spread throughout the conference. Mm -hmm. But this is just another way really putting this in shorthand that the Power Five conferences Mm -hmm. that we know from football, essentially they're also very dominant in basketball. 14 of the Sweet 16 finalists came from the Power Five conferences. This is just another way of keeping the money within them and not dispersing it to other conferences and other schools yeah it, i mean it's just another way that the wealth is concentrated and and there isn't a lot of wiggle room in that system for there to be a massive redistribution because you know i mean teams are going to gravitate to the power five conferences they're not going to gravitate to conferences that have one team that shows up in the tournament every few years so it The deck is stacked. This is the way you would say it's stacked in in men's basketball. In football, it's stacked, as you said, John, that, you know, you've said this before, no team outside of the Power Five is ever going to make that playoff system. Central Florida has been undefeated two years in a row and hasn't made it. Well, certainly those Power Five conferences, the rich keep getting richer. And then football... I think one of the things that's really interesting is um, when more than four teams become involved, it becomes what's called a tournament. And any tournament uh, in participating NCAA schools needs to be run by the NCAA. And so in college football, they're keeping the championship at just four times. And so in college football, they're actually cutting the NCAA out of it. The Power Five schools are. Because if they were to ever go to eight, then it would be a tournament. Then the NCAA NCAA would become involved. Because it's just four teams, it's categorized as something else, like an invitational, where those schools that are involved don't have to share the money with the NCAA. And a guy who works for the NCAA just told me this like about a month ago, and I was flabbergasted because I was saying to him, well, son of a gun, let's just build up the, the, the football tournament. And he said it'll never happen, and UCF will never get in because those Power Five schools don't want to share the wealth. They already have to a little bit at least, in uh, the tournament. I was about to say, how much difference is the men's basketball tournament to that? And is it at all, obviously, some of the schools get a little bit of money. Gonzaga is able to make some money for itself and for the West Coast Conference. But is it really that much better of a deal than when they're just completely blocked out of it, like in football? No, it's not. But there's enough, uh, there are enough little cracks, um, like a Gonzaga, that the narrative is there that you can do it. It's a lot like the American dream. You know, there are enough exceptions. There are enough examples of people who've gained access that it keeps everybody incentivized. So I think in football, that 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 um, illusion isn't even there. So it seems more exclusionary. But 
the basketball's just as exclusionary and there's a whole lot of money at stake there as well. I, I would say the money that Gonzaga has made, the money that, say, Butler has made, has certainly benefited those programs and those conferences a great deal. But the benefit going to those conferences pales in comparison to the benefit going to the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC. For instance, Rutgers hasn't made it to the NCAA tournament since 1991, and they're going to make as much money off the NCAA tournament as, say, Purdue, who went to the Elite Eight this year. And we don't know for a fact how the conference that Gonzaga's in chooses to distribute the funds either. I mean, do we do we know that? We don't know that they distribute it with equity. We don't. We just know that Gonzaga has given the conference access to some funds to distribute at their discretion, really. Somewhere else the money goes to coaches. Well, I think it's just really remarkable to <laughs> to think about um, you know how much money coaches stand to make and and the incentives built into contracts. I know sometimes in John's contracts there were incentives for you know the grades of his players and um, so many wins and statistics. Um, but if you look at Tony Bennett at at Virginia, he won. He got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his win over Oregon. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his win over Purdue. That's five hundred thousand dollars right there, just for two games. Those were his. Those were his bonuses. That's not his salary. And then if he wins the national championship, four hundred thousand more dollars. Um, he also just got. Um, Another million dollars for passing the five-year mark as Virginia's head coach. So, I mean, just in these few weeks, he's cashed in over $2 million almost. If he wins the whole tournament, it'll be over $2 million. And I think it's – to me, there's just a a kind of ridiculous quality to the narrative that we hear again and again around – that this is amateur, that, that, you know, we couldn't pay players because then, you know, everybody's broke, you know? And you're not broke if you're paying people kind of at the... I would say head coaches are probably not even... Would you say ADs are top tier and then head coaches? Because ADs have the power to, to fire head coaches. Uh well, head coaches make a lot more money. But than I'm ADs. talking about in the power structure. Well, it depends. Uh, All I'm I saying mean, is, certainly if you... at some schools, for at Duke or at North Carolina, yeah. the most powerful person at is both of coach. those universities yeah. is Roy Williams and Mike Shashevsky. More than the president, more than the AD. Mm-hmm. Period. The end. So, if you have the the revenue, the capital to incentivize your people at the top of the hierarchy to make that kind of money in the course of basically a couple of weeks you're not broke (laughs) you're you're doing really well you've got a lot of disposable malleable income that you can use to incentivize 
um, your head coaches to really push for these big wins, which again brings on even more. You know, with with Tom Izzo, his his Nike money is public is public knowledge. We don't even know what all the endorsement other endorsements are for Tony Bennett. So you can add, you know, hundreds of thousands of more dollars onto what this yeah. means for him. And you know, but let me say this. For coaches, I'm okay with a market where coaches get paid. I, I'm okay. In the NFL and in and in the NBA, coaches get paid high salaries. The thing that's unfair here is Tony Bennett, Tom Izzo, Mike Krzyzewski, all the, they didn't score one point for the team. Coaches are getting paid that much and the players are getting nothing is what's sinister. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is. It's not the idea that there's this market that they're willing to pay these people. It, it's that the labor force is getting nothing. And when when I mean nothing, there's a big thing going on right now at the NCAA that in the locker rooms, there were uh, March Madness Rugs. carpets, yeah. uh, uh, shower carpets at each locker. And some of the players took the shower carpets. Of course they did. It'd be great to have in your college dorm room or something like that. And the NCAA is raising a stink that you know, this is an improper benefit. Well, it just makes me roll my eyes when we're paying coaches who who have been penalized by the NCAA millions of dollars, and we're worried about these guys taking carpets. Again, <laughs> I've, I've been in that world. I've, I've been a coach getting paid an exorbitant amount of money. Not quite you like You never these made guys that were. money. Yeah. Not like these guys, but <laughs> enough money that I felt to myself, this this doesn't feel good. It, mm-hmm. Something's not right. I'm I'm making money off of these guys' backs in son of a gun. These guys need gas money to go home. These guys need money to send home to their families uh, uh to, to help out. And I'm just making more. And, and the more rules prevent you from more. helping them. And, and the, the rules, rules prevent, prevent you from, help. from helping them. I'm a theologian, so I'm I'm always interested in narratives and how they they make meaning for people. And so we have this narrative around the market value of coaches. We have this narrative around we'd go broke if we pay the labor force, which, by the way, just FYI, was a similar argument that was made to start the Civil War, (laughs) that if we pay our labor force, we will go broke in the South. But aside from that little history note, the other narrative that couples with this is that those players who who go out early to the NBA are bad or they've got their priorities out of whack that, that when we look at, for instance, in the, in the final four, there, there are no freshman starters. Am I right? 15, 15 of the 20 starters in the final four this weekend will be juniors or seniors. And people will eat that up like candy that these are the really dedicated players who have their priorities straight. They're there. They're staying in school. 
And people love to couple that narrative with, you know, the, this other narrative that we just talked about, about the coaches accumulating wealth, that the, co- that the players are just there for the love of the game. They're real students. Um, and if they go out early, their priorities are out of whack. Um, they're going to regret it. They're not getting their education. And, and so we valorize um, players who really – if they are staying and they have a chance to play in the NBA, they've made a bad business decision. <laughs> I mean, really, they have. And I don't know many players that if they really have a chance to be viable in the NBA draft are going to stay in college. So it's an interesting thing that that we prop up the fantasy of this whole amateurism model with with the way we valorize players who stick around. And that these are really good teams and good coaches who who have their players really commit and they're not one-and-done schools. That's one of the things people really demonize Calipari for is that he's just a one-and-done kind of guy. I happen to think that has a lot more integrity, and it's not just because I grew up in Kentucky, but that that has a lot more integrity in the business to say, look, if you come here You've got a good shot at being a high draft pick. Come here for a year. It's a good business decision. That has a lot more integrity than this kind of false narrative of come and get a great education and then you'll be educated. And then if you still have this silly dream of playing professional sports, then, you know, maybe you'll have a chance. But, um, it's just interesting to think about how all these things crisscross and kind of prop each other up. I think if you want players to stay in college, you need to incentivize it for them. And that if you stay in college, you can have money to send home to family members that are in need. You can have money to buy a car you can make money off your name image and likeness if you allow players to do that you'll see really 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 good players nba caliber players that will stay in college for a few more years there's going to be players that it's just obviously they're going to go zion williamson should go he's going to make a hundred million dollars probably in the nfl in his first or nba NBA. in his first contract but there's going to be other players who are going to take this leap of faith and try to make it in the nba and then not make it Mm -hmm. but the reason they're leaving college and trying to do that is not because they don't want an education is not because they don't love the college experience but it's because they need to help family members. They need to. Uh, well, they can't make afford some money. not they to try. They can't afford not to give it a shot. And those are the people. There's so many of those in football and in basketball that are just not paid attention to. Well, this is the peak of their market value too. I mean, this is really, you know, these guys are eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. This is. And this is their prime, and for some of them, and you know, it, they'd be stupid not to try. They'd be stupid to. And I mean, I'm wondering, like, what do you all think people will 
what will be the talk about Zion when he goes out. I mean, I've already heard people saying, you know, that that it's bad that Coach K, like, you know, is supporting this, you know, this kind of one-and-done kind of thing that – like, that's all he's about, which that's never, I mean, he's not my favorite person, but that's never been what he's really, that's never been his model there. I'll be honest, Zion Williamson, had he decided to leave high school directly from an hour south yeah. of us in Greenville, he would have been the number one number one overall pick. I mean, yeah. He's that good. He's that good. Yeah. So, how, I mean, but do you think people will kind of no, look I, down on him for that? No, I don't think the Zion Williamson's will be the people that... It's the other players who will get the, the mid-range. Well, this, well, this guy thinks he's better than he is kind yes, of thing, it's right? Yes, it's, it's the picks in the NBA draft that are from 20 to 30. The NBA is different than the NFL. If you're a first-round draft pick in the NBA, and in, in it's pick 21, 27, there's no guarantee you're even going to make the team in the NBA. There's only mm-hmm. 15 guys on the roster. I mean, you've got to be so good. In the NFL, you know, there's, there's 48, 53 guys on a roster plus practice squads. And, yeah, and, and more than that, too. The- uh, and so... Nobody's going to blame Zion Williamson, but it's that in-between guy who's going to give it a shot, and some might make it, some might not. And those that might not, it's going to be easy for everybody to say, well, if it had just stayed in school, well, son of a gun, incentivize it for him to stay in school because he probably would have liked to. So we're going to end the show by asking this one simple question. (laughs) We're going to bring up a bunch of different instances, though. The question is, does the end justify the means? First instance, Tom Izzo. We talked about it last week. He started screaming at a player during the Michigan State's first-round game, Aaron Henry. Brought a lot of consternation and support from all across the country that this was either he was coaching this guy up hard by getting in his face and really screaming at him. Others felt it was over the line and it was bullying. Well, Michigan State ends up making the Final Four. Aaron Henry, the player that he was yelling at, has one really good game against LSU. Michigan State ends up upsetting Duke and makes the Final Four. So... Does the end justify the means in that case? Not for me. No, I don't think so. And it goes back to exactly what I said. If the if the ends are just winning, then I guess, you know, whatever it takes, by any means necessary. But if the ends are, if we're still going to put in play the narrative that this is a student and that this is a college and that this is an amateur then you say you boast that you have other values that you're molding them into great citizens and you're mentoring them and you you know you want them to be good people and you want them to learn life lessons those are all things that we overlay on this spectacle so if that's your main goal for these people to be um you know kind of good citizens and to learn um good leadership then no it doesn't. It's It flies in the face of those things directly. <laughs> As I said, I've been that coach before. And in this case, the end probably did justify the means to me. They're in the Final Four. Those guys are playing at a really, really high level and playing for one another. Um, I don't like that it happened on TV, 
the thing that I have the biggest problem with is that he talked about Aaron Henry um, not doing his job and that this is a business and that he has to do his job. Well, if it's that, uh, let's pay him. But uh, I've been that coach, and I've seen that. I, I would have really regretted that it happened, but I think those things do happen sometimes. That's not the question. Well, the question is, I, I think the end justified the means. I think it he motivated that young man and, in fact, motivated the rest of his team to play at a high level cohesively. <laughs> I sense disagreement. <laughs> we'll go on to the next one. Does the end justify the means? And this one should be a doozy. Bruce Pearl, first coach ever hired by a major program while he was on a show cause. And a show cause is an NCAA punishment against coaches who have been caught repeatedly breaking NCAA rules. He's the first coach ever hired while still on a show cause, but he was hired by Auburn for while he was on his show cause from incidents that happened when he was the head coach at the University of Tennessee. Auburn hires him. He has now taken Auburn to the first Final Four in the school's history. So does the end justify the means of Auburn hiring a coach like that if they get to the Final Four for the first time ever? Well, here, here's part of my answer. Auburn's never had trouble breaking the rules to win. And so they're a good match for each other because either is Bruce Pearl. So I think um, if, the, if that's your metric, if, if everything's okay until you get caught, and frankly, they've both been caught, you know. But if if everything's okay, if you get away with it, and if you win, it's even more okay. So the more you win, the more we'll look the other way. They're a good match for each other. And in their, you know, kind of ethical system, yeah, the ends justify the means. Again, they don't for me because we still are trying to have this other broader narrative around what this is, that it's not just about winning, that it's not just a business, that it is an enterprise with a kind of moral imperative, um, that this is a, a, a part of our society that's supposed to be modeling important life lessons of accountability and leadership. And so that's all. If the, if the ends justifies the means on this, then that we need to just call BS on all that, which I'm not telling a secret to say I've already called BS on all that several times. But you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Just call it a business and say you don't care about the rules and throw out the rule book that's just used to keep players in, in check. Coaches rarely pay the price for those things. Right now, if Auburn hires a coach on a show cause and he ends up getting them to the Final Four for the first time in school history, doesn't that make this punishment now for coaches completely uh, pointless? Cause it's, sure. Now schools can say, hey, we can still do it. And the only and other thing that could happen is that the win becomes meaningless, that they vacate the win someday because they are playing with a jaded coach or and something. Louisville so, had to vacate a national championship this decade. I don't think that – And what does that mean? What does it mean yeah. exactly? We saw, saw them right. win that national championship. They can't right. have a banner or in their media guide, but right. we all know who won we it. We all know they won. Right. That's right. You know, this was really – 
interesting to me. I can remember a time when I was at North Carolina, and we had gotten in trouble with the NCAA, and we were about to go to a big alumni function. And our head coach, Butch Davis, said to me, Oh, this is going to be miserable. These guys are going to be riding our tails about the NCAA investigating us. And I was really nervous about it as well. Let me tell you something. This is at the University of North Carolina, people. I was shocked. The biggest boosters that there are at that university came up to me and were saying things like, finally, we've got some street cred. That's a direct quote. We have street cred. People are going to look at us like Auburn and Alabama now and know that mean we mean business when we're recruiting. <laughs> I was shocked by that. So let me first be clear. Alan Green, the AD at Auburn, knew exactly what he was doing when he signed Bruce Pearl. It's not like he was hoping that Bruce would turn around. These guys know exactly what they're doing. And their goal is to get to the Final Four and win a national championship. And as Machiavelli said, if you want to be the prince, if you want to be in charge, sometimes you have to let your conscience sleep. And Auburn, the boosters at Auburn, the AD at Auburn, the president at Auburn, everybody's willing to look the other way. Everybody's willing to let their conscience sleep, as Machiavelli said, if this will achieve a goal. And make no mistake, under Bruce Pearl's watch, they've been investigated by the FBI. Chuck Person has been arrested, an assistant <laughs> coach on Bruce Pearl's staff by the FBI. Two players have been uh, uh, suspended for over a year because of the FBI scandal, and two more administrators on his staff have lost their job. So all this has gone on while Bruce Pearl was there. <laughs> but the administration, the athletic director, the president, the alum, I'm telling you, they're all willing to let their conscience sleep because they want to be on that court in the Final Four, or they want to be on that football field in the national championship. I, as, as a football coach, really felt like there was a time when that decision came up for me. Am I going to look the other way? Am I going to pretend that this isn't happening? And I was not willing to let my conscience sleep. And frankly, it's probably why I'm not the prince, Machiavelli would say. But you brought up an interesting point, Marsha, when you were talking about it before. What's a win worth now? And what does a win mean? Because, again, Auburn's in the Final Four for the first time in school history. John just listed all the things that have happened since Bruce Pearl's been the head coach. Mm -hmm. And then he came with all the baggage before that. Mm -hmm. Is well, a win that worth – is it worth that much? Well, it's worth a lot of money. Well, I mean, I mean, not money. Yeah. Is it worth that much? But, I mean, a win's not worth anything. In this scenario, the only reason a win's worth something is because it's worth a lot of money. I know there's there people like to win. I know this is a competitive culture and people like to win. But 
if the money weren't attached to the wins, I think there would be a more stringent system of accountability for rule breakers. There, when you incentivize these big payoffs, you're going to try to get by with it, even if they vacate a win. Yeah, let's say they, this gets vacated. Uh, John Calipari had two yeah. vacated before he got Do they to take back the money? No. I don't think so, do they? Do they? Not from the coach. <laughs> but, I mean, do they take back the money from the school? I don't know. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say that I have friends that went to Auburn, good, decent people, a pastor, uh, a a friend who was an administrative assistant, and they're all in. Nobody cares how it's done. (laughs) And and, and it's sad to me. They really don't. They don't want want their coach to be caught and to embarrass the school. But other than that, just win, and everybody's okay with it. I mean, Tim Cook, uh, uh, the uh, the uh, CEO of Apple, is on Twitter. He's he's an Auburn alum. War damn eagle. He couldn't be more proud than anyone. Nobody cares how you get there. They they don't. The alums don't. The AD doesn't. The president doesn't. They just want you to get there. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard to be honest and recruit in big-time college sports right now. It's hard to do it. And I know a lot of people that are trying their tails to do it the right way. Or is it hard to do it with a conscience? It's hard to be good if you don't let your conscience sleep. Well, those tuning in expecting a nice, happy (laughs) breakdown of, you know... How will Michigan State go after Texas Tech's defense, and will the sort of offense that Tony Bennett runs, and how will that go against Auburn? Probably might be a little disappointed in this that there were no X's and O's, but of course you say that in the uh, in the opening of the show that uh, we go beyond the sound bites it's and the highlight, highlight reels. reels. I think there are some things that make this a particularly exciting Final Four that Here's that'll the, keep people engaged. It's the first time there's no Duke. North mm-hmm. Carolina, UCLA, Kentucky, mm-hmm. Louisville, and Kansas. Kansas. It's the first mm-hmm. time, I think, in like two or three decades. Mm-hmm. And also, like, there are two teams that have never made it to the Final Four and we before. Had two teams three years ago that had never made it before, either Gonzaga and South Carolina. So, so you have yeah. some schools breaking in. Right. And that. that is exciting for people. People love the underdog narrative. And I think the fact that, you know, there's something. There's been all this focus on, you know, freshmen and the big time freshmen and the, you know, these amazing freshmen that just get more and more amazing. And then we've got the kind of, you know, journeyman narrative that it's the guys that stuck around and are really committed. I think I think people like but it that is a narrative. narrative. But it is a narrative. And as you said earlier, narratives yeah. are what interest you. They interest yeah. me, too, of the things we tell ourselves that we I want to identify with because we identify yeah. with narratives the ones yeah, we like totally. we certainly identify and and what i'm saying is that there are several this year that are in play that are going to feed the the good stuff you know the things that this that 
that scratch our itches about mm-hmm. what this is. And I think I think, you know, it'll be and it'll be exciting to watch. I I think the games that got us to the final four were all close and overtime mm-hmm. and, you know, taking down these Goliaths that um people love those kinds of experiences and stories. It makes them feel like something's possible for them. So I do think there's a lot of catnip in this. We'll finish with asking this question, since it won't actually pertain to this weekend, since Duke lost, but they were probably part of the three most exciting games Mm -hmm. uh, in this year's tournament against UCF, Virginia Tech, and Michigan State. So just gut reaction go. Should Zion Williamson have come back after the shoe blowout against UNC? Should he have come back and played? I think so. Yes, because that's what he does. He's a basketball player, and he's a fantastic one, and this was the biggest stage at this point in his life that he could play on. Now, I think he should have been able to play the NBA at this point in his career, but that's what he does. He's a basketball player, and I, for one, am glad that he came back. Yeah, and I think the other thing that is, you know, I don't know Zion personally, but if he's anything like the players we were around all those years, he loves his teammates. He's committed to his teammates. He's not just a superstar on the team. He wants to be there. He wants to be with his team. And so I think I think players, um, they're some of the finest human beings on the planet. They're, they're deeply committed to the people that they spend their time with every day. So I think he should have come back because it's probably what he really wanted to do in his heart, you know? He did take a, a business risk, though, to do that. Um, but maybe he has um, values that outweigh that for him at some point. So I affirm that. You've been listening to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio. NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. And make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.